with this season, one of the focuses that I wanted to look at was uh, looking through the different letters that were written to the churches out of the book of Revelation. And now, if, if you've never read through the book of Revelation, you should, even if it's a struggle and, and confusing to you. But at the beginning of the book, there are seven letters that are sent out to seven congregations. And each of those letters includes uh, um, a description of the one who is sending the letter, that is, of Jesus himself, of a statement of uh, something that's going on either in that town or in the church that he's writing to or, or speaking to that will create either issues or a sin that they're struggling with. And then that also then includes a statement of promise, some sort of promise that is given to these churches. Uh, there are churches that are well known. Some are in uh, towns that still exist. Some are in towns that haven't existed for about a millennia. But they are uh, important letters that I believe still speak to the church today. And they have something to say to us which is why I wanted to uh, have a sermon series on them and to begin talking about it. Now, we, we've already gone through one on Ash Wednesday, and, and this takes us to the one today, which is the Church of Smyrna, which, if anything, is just fun to say. <laughs> but this church is dealing with something, has something coming to it, and we can tell from the text that a struggle of tribulation, a time of persecution, if it's not already there, is coming on them, and the, the message is to not fear. But before I get into that a little too much, I want to share some thoughts about the church itself. And I'm not talking about the church of Smyrna, I'm, I'm talking about the church universal. that it is unique, it's beautiful, while also being very ugly at the same time. No offense. This past week was, just as a pastor, a bit of a struggle, and, and is one that where the picture into people's lives became very clear. Visiting several of our members in the hospital, having one of our members called to rest in the Lord. It helped me find a new appreciation for who the church is and for who you are. I read an article earlier this week written by, um, she's a, an Episcopalian priest, Sarah Condon, uh, on, a, on the website Mockingbird. And she was talking about the church and she was um, talking about it in the sense of the difference in ages, something that we at Lamb of God have always kind of focused on being an intergenerational church. But as she's writing it, she's talking about the ways in which um, the church is, is different than all other things and unlike it in any sort of way. And she says, one of the most uh, often unspoken gifts of ministry is you learn that the old people were once young. <laughs> sure, the church is full of old people. <laughs> but the church is full of old people that all used to be young. <laughs> I've received communion alongside a doctor who aided workers building the Panama Canal. 
For four years, I ate church suppers with the CIA operative who worked during the Korean War. And I cannot count the testimonies of the elderly who have survived the loss of a child or the falling apart of a marriage or a near-death health crisis. The amount of them that have dashed dreams, tales of romantic desires, and a hopeful sense that things could always be worse because they remember when things were worse. This too is an odd blessing for everyone. The church is not only a place where those of different ages intersect, but those of different backgrounds and different communities intersect. And all of us have experienced our own tragedies and our own emergencies, our own place in life of struggle. And the place of the church is where those in the complete freedom of the gospel are spoken of in a witness and in a testimony of the ways in which the Lord's promises remain true and steadfast for all of us. The biggest shame that we could have is keeping them to ourselves. Because the Lord has done wonderful things in each of our lives, even when we are feeling at our worst. There's another quote that I once heard it was by uh, a guy, a pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson. And he was asked what advice he would give to people who are trying to go find a church that are, uh, find themselves churchless. And he once remarked, find the smallest and the closest church to you and make it your home. We have a church where thankfully we're small. <laughs> we know each other. And so when those tragedies strike in our lives, let us remember others have been there as well, and they can share the gospel with us. For even in our worst, the Lord continues to do his good work. Because there are always those among us who have also survived the loss of a child, who have also survived the breakup of a marriage, who've also survived the temptations of adultery and desire, that there are always those among us who've had cancer, whose loved one had cancer, that there are always those among us who've lost their job before and who can always tell us the Lord is faithful in the middle of it all. I bring this up to you today because the other option for us is to fear. Is to fear what is ahead of us. Maybe it's actually the more literal fear we feel now of, of some sort of virus invading our country. Or the fear that, that maybe someday the government will come and take our buildings away or, or whatever you may have. But in the church, in the people who are gathered together and called the body of Christ, fear is only a small part of our faith, but is something that helps us grow in hope for the future. A fear that is founded only in a God who has the power 
to save, to redeem, and to raise the dead. So let us not fear. Let us hear the words that the Lord is sending to the church in Smyrna. That the bridegroom, the Lord of the church, is the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who has a complete authority over this place and over our kingdom of God. Let us hear and remember the ways in which our God continues to act in each other's lives. It's strange to think that one of the greatest gifts in your life could actually be the people that gather here with you on Sunday who come to receive the same words of grace, who confess the same confession of sin and proclaim the same faith as you. But in this community, we find one that is founded on an eternal wellspring of love by the cross of Christ. Meaning that it is founded on something that, that cannot be stopped by barriers of culture, context, by barriers of sin, even barriers of tradition. For the world does not recognize our Lord, our Christ. For the world will bring about its own temptations, its own struggle. And as it is said in our own reading today, they prepare to throw such great trial to you. For we know our enemy prowls like a prowling lion looking to devour. But like the early church in the face of lions, we can huddle together and find peace in one body. This peace is not founded out of not arguing together. Because <laughs> anybody that knows the church knows arguing. <laughs> but a peace that is founded in Christ. Hear these words that come to us out of 1 John chapter 4. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But we love because he has first loved us. This love has come to you and to me 
It is the very thing that the Lord has given to us to combat the fear that the world tries to throw into our lives. I have seen the ways in which fear can grab a hold of the Christian, leading them to search and to scramble and to prowl themselves, looking for ways for them to be saved on their own, clinging to the hopes and to the dreams that they themselves can make their own power in salvation. But this love, this love meets us in our imperfection. It meets us in the time of our sinning and in our own trials. It comes into our broken homes. It comes into the depth of our doubting when even our faith is imperfect. And so often it even comes in the faith, the face of one who is sitting next to you and can remind you, you are still his child. You are still his baptized. You are still his church. With all your fear, with all your doubt, and even in your lack of faith, for this love has come to us. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks to us so well, something that we like to read when we come to our All Saints Day in November. But it speaks of the truth that this love has united us to such a great cloud of witnesses that gather around us, that call us into one. And this great cloud of witnesses is founded on its witness of the things that Christ has done for you, for me, and for those saints who have gone before. And for the saints that sit among us that can say, it will get better. I've seen it get better. This too will be forgiven. I've seen it forgiven. This war will come to an end because I've seen them come to an end. Even this virus will pass, for I've seen them pass. And our reading today of the gospel reminds us that we, the body of church, the people of Christ, have been given something else to remind us of it the very person that draws us here in his power, the one who comes to us in word, the one who was there when you were baptized, the great helper, the one to help push that fear out of your life, the one that calls you back to the words of Christ, the one who points you always to that cross, the one who reminds you of these simple words, you are still loved. You are still his church. You are still his people. Amen?